Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. As Danielle said, we're starting a new series today, The Secret of Happiness. And appropriately, we're going to talk this morning about gratitude. Gratitude seems like such a simple idea, doesn't it? Just being grateful. And it is simple until we try to live it out every day in every situation. Paul understood this, and he wrote these words to the church in Ephesus when he said, he said something, I know. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to hear Paul's words in context. As he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul is languishing and forgotten in a Roman prison cell. He has been arrested, beaten, and unjustly detained. He knew every single day that the footsteps that he heard coming towards his cell down the corridor could be the one Roman guard that was coming to get him to take him to his execution. His only bed was the hard, cold stone floor in his prison cell. And there wasn't an hour that passed where he was free from the pain of the manacles around his wrists and his ankles cutting into his skin. If ever a person was in a situation where he had a right to complain, it was Paul in that prison cell. You know, the funny thing is, you read his letters written from that prison cell, and they weren't full of complaints. They were full of gratitude and joy. Now, I get it. Life can be hard sometimes, brutally hard, like when you've just lost your job or you've just lost someone you love. Or you've lost your health. When life gets hard, it can be hard enough that at times it causes us to question God's goodness and his sovereignty. But Paul's words in Ephesians leave us very little wiggle room when he says, Give thanks always for everything. For those of us who are called to follow Jesus, we must learn how to be grateful one day, one situation at a time. So when it's boiled down to its simplest, clearest definition, gratitude is a willing recognition that we have received something good that we didn't earn, we don't merit, we don't deserve. Now the consensus is not just in Christianity, but in all of the world's major religions, that if we've been given something like that, we should both express and feel gratitude in our hearts. Second Samuel chapter 9 has one of the best stories of gratitude I know in all of the Bible. And I'll tell it to you briefly. It covers multiple chapters in Second Samuel. But here's what happened. Uh, after being crowned the second king of Israel, David begins to ask this question. Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Uh, David was grateful that he had survived King Saul's murderous attempts, stalking, tracking, hunting him for years. And he survived because his best friend Jonathan helped him escape. Jonathan, who was Saul's firstborn son and rightful heir to the throne. 
as king, David now looks for and finds Jonathan's only living relative. David intended to show gratitude for all of Jonathan's kindness to him, a kindness he didn't earn and he didn't deserve. And so one of David's men stepped up and said, yes, Jonathan's son is still alive. He's crippled in both feet. Now, what happened there was that when King Saul and Jonathan were both killed on the battlefield, and it became that there was apparent that there was going to be a change in who was ruling the kingdom, Saul's household was in chaos. And so Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. And at the news that the king was dead, the nurse who was caring for Mephibosheth grabbed him, Mephibosheth, I will not get that right every time, grabbed him and ran from the palace to find hiding. And as she was running, she stumbled and fell, and this baby fell from her arms. And however the fall happened, Mephibosheth ended up with two severely broken ankles and was unable to walk for the rest of his life. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba, the servant said. <laughs> Lodabar, that simple statement tells us that Mephibosheth was at rock bottom. The ancient world was not kind to people with disabilities. And Mephibosheth is living in a town called Lodabar, which translated from Hebrew to English means land of nothing. If you've ever Googled strange town names, you know this would be one of them, right? I mean, it would be like living in a place called Dismal, Tennessee, or Little Hope, Texas, or Cape Despair, Washington. Nobody wants to live in those towns, and nobody in Mephibosheth's day wanted a home zip code of Lodabar. When he finds out in Lodabar that David wanted to see him. Mephibosheth was terrified. Kings were seldom kind to the family of their predecessor. So David sent word to him and said, Don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. And that's exactly what happened. This poor, crippled man who had nothing became a recipient of David's gratitude for what Jonathan had done. David gave him all the land that his grandfather Saul had possessed when he was king. He became a wealthy landowner. He ate every day, every meal at the king's table, which was a privilege reserved for the extremely wealthy and the battle-worn successful commanders. He sat there, Mephibosheth did, not because he earned it, not because he deserved it, he sat there simply because of David's expression of gratitude. Now, there are dozens of stories in the Scripture that teach the same concept that we learn in this story. There is value in being grateful. More than 150 times in the New Testament alone, we are commanded to be thankful, to be grateful for what we have. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The Bible does its best to teach us that a grateful life is our best life. And research and articles and studies have confirmed there are tremendous benefits 
to being grateful the way the Bible talks about. For example, here are some of the the findings in just one study that I looked at. They asked people to keep a gratitude journal for an extended period of time, and then at the end of the experiment, they studied these people, and here's what they found. They found that by simply being grateful, they showed more determination in life. Their enthusiasm and their energy increased. They had fewer aches and pains than they did before this experiment. Their symptoms of depression and anxiety decreased. They were more optimistic. The results were obvious to their friends and family. And then the one thing that stood out to me in this that I went, I want that. They slept better. Yeah, you're right there with me. Don't use this as an experiment on sleeping right now. Just know that if you're grateful, you'll sleep better. That's the power of gratitude. That's how this simple act of being grateful can change our life. I do understand that it's tough to be grateful at some points in our life. A little over 18 months ago, most of you know, Connie and I were involved in a very serious motorcycle accident We ended up with broken bones, internal injuries, and a serious concussion, each of us. Now, to be clear, from the first moment that I woke up on the pavement, we were both in a lot of pain. In those first hours after the accident, we were transported all over the hospital for x-rays and CT scans to to determine the extent of our injuries. I swear that the hospital we were in hired retired bouncers to be the orderlies on the night shift, right? Because it felt like they were slamming me from the ER table to the transport table to the CT machine, throwing me on this hard plastic surface, shoving me in the tube, and then reversing the process to get me back in my ER room. In those moments, I was grateful for oxycodone and morphine. I'll just be honest. I, it happened all night long. I was stuck for blood tests. I got my first brain scratch for COVID test. If you've had it, you know what I mean. I mean, there were lots of firsts in that night. But after several hours in the ER, our daughter, Courtney, connected Connie and I. We were in separate rooms, not able to see each other, not able to talk to each other. Our daughter set up a FaceTime call for us. And she said, we should show the picture. I'm not going to show you the picture because I'm laying on the ER bed, holding the phone up, trying to focus my eyes because of the drugs. But in that moment, as we talked to each other, we decided that whatever happened, whatever surgeries, whatever recovery looked like, we were going to choose to be grateful. And we had a lot to be grateful for. We were alive. We had good hospital staff who were taking care of us. And over the ensuing months, we had family and friends who did stuff for us that we would have never asked and couldn't imagine that they would do to help us with our recovery. Now, to be honest, it was harder to keep that promise of being grateful than I imagined when I said it. I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of emotion. I drifted in and out of anger at the man who turned in front of us as we were going 40 miles an hour down the road. I didn't understand, and I was angry. I drifted in and out of frustration because 
of the healing process and its slowness. It's hard to be grateful when your big step in physical therapy after seven weeks is from the floor to a three-inch platform. It's hard to be grateful for that as progress. Throughout our recovery, we didn't get this 100% right. We never will. It's tough for us, no matter what the hard situation is, to kick those bad emotions and kick those bad memories to the curb and get them out of our mind. They just seem to dig in, don't they? Why is it that the bad things get a stronger foothold in our brain than the things we should be grateful for? One researcher summed it up like this. He said, the mind is like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive ones. So what are we to do? How do we retrain our brain and our heart to be grateful? So I want to give you four ideas this morning, four simple practices, and I want you to just pick one. One practice that will help you let go of the negative and help the good stuff stick in our brains. The first is this. Don't be picky. Appreciate everything. There is always something to be grateful for. It just takes practice to see it. I am grateful with the cold snap we had a couple of weeks ago after the 70-degree days, right? I found myself incredibly grateful that my 21-year-old car still starts and runs and incredibly grateful that it has electric heated seats, right? I think those are a proof that God loves us. You know, if you have pets, you can be grateful for the unconditional love that a dog will show you. You can even be grateful, though it's harder, for the fickle love that a cat will show you. We can be grateful for clean water that comes from the tap every time we turn the faucet. We can be grateful for a refrigerator and pantries that are full of food. We can be grateful that our homes have heat. We can be grateful for 50-degree days at the end of November. Find things to appreciate, even if they're small. Second, limit negative input. Ask yourself, who is it that is a constant source, or what is it that's a constant source of negativity for you? Is it certain people in your life? Is it your social media feeds? This week, I chose to leave one social media feed simply because it had become toxic for my soul. It destroyed my gratitude, and it populated my email, and it crushed my gratitude. So whatever it is for you, figure out those negative inputs in your life and limit or eliminate them. It's not a mafia thing to, you know, put out a hit on the person who's negative in your life. It's just limit their influence. Third, slow down and savor life and all the experiences we have. Choose windows of time where you put away your phone and its camera. And rather than capturing the experience digitally, just be fully present in that experience. In fact, when you do that, turn your phone upside down and set it somewhere out of arm's reach so you won't even be drawn in by the flashing light of the messages and the emails coming. 
our Thanksgiving meal this week, we were thrilled to have our daughter and her family, to have my sister and her family come join us. We had nine people around the Thanksgiving table, and I took a risk. I've done it a couple of times with our family. I took a risk, and I stopped all of them, seven adults and two teenagers, and I said, here's the, th- the one thing I would ask from you for Thanksgiving. I would love for you to put your phone on silent, set it over there on the counter, and leave it there until we finish dessert just to be fully present in the conversation. I didn't get a single word of protest from anyone. In fact, midway through when somebody said, hey, can I get my phone to show you something? We all went, no, (laughs) just leave it. You can show us later. It helped us to savor the experience of just being together. Every moment, every conversation, to engage all of our senses, the good and the beautiful, and be thankful. And if you find good people around you, let them know how much you appreciate them and why. One last idea. I would encourage you to begin a gratitude journal like that one experiment, research experiment talked about. Do a journal where every day the very first thing you do is to pull that journal out, whether it's in a notebook or a note on your phone, and write down three things that you're grateful for. Now, I know that I've asked you a couple of times over the years to do this. I think it's just a good time to do it again. Our brain cannot easily focus on the good and the bad at the same time, on positive and negative stimuli. So when we choose to see the good, Our mind tends to forget and overlook the bad and look for more good. Maybe that's why God encourages us with these words. He says, fix your hearts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I would wager an expensive bet that every single one of us has at least something that fits in one of those categories in our life. So find a notebook. And at the start of each day, jot down three new things that you're grateful for. And if you'll do that simple practice by the end of the year, you will have a list of 100 things you're grateful for, and you'll have started to retrain your mind toward gratitude. Now, I would encourage you, to put one of these four practices in place in your life starting today. Take one step that will help you grow in gratitude, and you need to be intentional. I find that very seldom do we drift into greater levels of gratitude in our lives. It's a choice we have to make. We will, if we don't choose gratitude, often drift into negativity and bitterment and bitterness and entitlement. So commit today, one step at a time, to move towards a grateful heart. And when that one step you're doing becomes a normal, natural part of your life, search for another step. Pick another step that will help that gratitude grow. Now I want to pray for us this morning, because this is really hard work, harder than it sounds like it it would be. I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for me that God will give us the strength and the desire and the ability to focus on the stuff in life that is true 
and honorable and excellent and worthy of praise. Would you pray with me? God, in the busyness of our everyday lives, we sometimes forget and miss all of the things that we need to be grateful for. Our blessings are many, so fill our hearts with gratitude for life, for the ability to love and be loved, for the opportunity we have every day to see the wonders of your creation. Thank you, God, for sleep, for water, and for a mind that thinks and a body that feels. We thank you, God, too, for those things in our life that are less than we would hope them to be. Things that seem challenging and unfair and difficult. And when our heart feels stretched and empty, we are grateful that you are as close to us as our next breath. God, in the silence of our soul, we thank you most for your unconditional and eternal love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.